this series, and the um, you have an outline on the back. However, the scripture title is not Acts chapter 29. I'm sorry, the scripture text is not Acts chapter 29, verses 1 through 11. You will look in vain for Acts chapter 29. Rather, it's chapter 28, verses 11 through 31. With that, please give attention to God's Word. Um, I am reading from the English Standard Version. And um, as happened in my absence, the Pew Bibles, the English Standard Version Bibles, um, Pew Bibles have been placed in the, the pews. Uh, so if you have a different version and would like to read along with the English Standard, you have that in front of you. Acts chapter 28, beginning with verse 11. After three months, we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. And you'll remember that Paul and uh, Luke and others uh, had been uh, shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And so they wintered there for three months. Verse 12, Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Petoli. There we found brothers... And we, we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. After three days, he... He called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they, when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. 
the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we... Begin to open your word. I pray for your help. Help me to proclaim it boldly and without hindrance. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. On October 25th, 1854, because of a miscommunication in orders, a brigade of over 650 British cavalry soldiers charged headlong into the middle of 5,000 Russian soldiers during the Crimean War. The, this brigade was slaughtered, but because of their devotion to duty, they did not turn back. And Alfred Tennyson wrote a poem about that doomed charge entitled, The Charge of the Light Brigade. I'm going to read his poem. Listen to the courage, the devotion to duty, and the horror mixed with the futility. Charge of the Light Brigade. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death, wrote the 600. Forward the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said, into the valley of death, rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew, someone had blundered. Theirs not to make reply, theirs not to reason why, theirs but to do and die. Into the valley of death, rode the 600. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode and well. Into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, rode the six hundred, flashed all their sabers bare, flashed as they turned in air, sabering the gunners there, charging an army, all, I'm sorry, charging an army while all the, wa- the world wondered, plunged in the battery smoke, right through the line they broke, Cossack and Russian, reeled from the saber stroke, shattered and sundered, they rode back, but not, not the 600. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon then behind them, volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, while horse and hero fell. They that had fought so well came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell. All that was left of them, left of the six hundred. Who can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made. All the world wondered. 
Honor the charge they made. Honor the light brigade, noble 600. I recite this poem because this is sometimes how I feel about the progress of the gospel in our own day and age. It seems as if the progress of the gospel is an illusionary concept. We charge headlong into battle for the gospel, and it seems as if it is to no effect. Churches all over our country are trying to push forward with the gospel, but our culture opens its wide, gaping mouth and seems to swallow us whole. Instead of making significant impact on our culture, churches are becoming more like our culture. Churches are being pushed to the sidelines, and the progress of the gospel is at a standstill. Actually, I think that's being a little optimistic uh, in my description, because the gospel appears not to be at a standstill, but in full retreat. Let me ask you your opinion about what I'm saying. Are you encouraged or discouraged about the state of the gospel in our country? Are you satisfied with the current moral consciousness of our nation? Are you hopeful for the succeeding generations to push back the tide of secularism that has gripped our society? It almost seems pointless to talk about the progress of the gospel. If we had to define a realistic mission for our congregation here in Brandon, for Westminster Presbyterian Church, what would that realistic mission be? Would it be realistic to make our mission be to transform Brandon by the gospel? To transform not only Brandon, but the greater Brandon area by the power of the gospel? Or would it be more realistic to make our mission to simply survive the cultural onslaught as a church, as individuals, as families. Would it be realistic to simply make our mission to keep our faith in Christ when everything is against us? In our text, the Apostle Paul finally gets to Rome As we have been looking at the book of Romans, for the last seven or eight chapters, we see the the, the Lord Jesus promising Paul, you will get to proclaim Christ in Rome. Don't lose heart. You will make it to Rome. You will get to preach the gospel. So Paul, Paul finally gets to Rome after having been shipwrecked and stranded on the island of Malta for three months. And to preach the gospel in Rome, the world's capital at that time, seems to be a wonderful thing. But look at verse 16. In verse 16, when Paul came to Rome, what happened to him? 
Verse 16, when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. In other words, he was under house arrest. He finally gets to Rome as Jesus had promised and he's put in jail even though it's not a jail with bars he's got a guard that is watching him uh, it said there uh, in verse 20 that he was wearing a chain he couldn't leave he gets there and he's a prisoner and not only that but look also at verse 30 in verse 30 he lived there Two whole long years. Not only that, he had to live there at his own expense. He had to pay the guards to guard him. He had to pay the rent for where he was being held in house arrest. And if that's not enough, remember that Paul spent the previous two years before getting on the ship to come to Rome in a jail in Caesarea. So including the ill-fated trip to Rome where he suffered the shipwreck and had to be stranded for three months or so, plus the previous two years of being in jail in Caesarea, plus the next two years of living as a prisoner in Rome, that's almost five years of living as a prisoner. This is very encouraging to me. Here is the Apostle Paul, a very godly man, the most effective missionary that the church has ever known. And what is he doing? Languishing in prison. Maybe I'm a little demented to be encouraged by that. And also, let me pile on a little bit. We know from his other letters... Uh, to the various churches, that many of the churches he planted were now in danger of slipping back into Judaism or some form of heresy. And the Apostle Paul could look at his circumstances, look at the fact that he's in jail, look at the fact that these churches he had planted, some of these churches like Ephesus, he had stayed there for two years teaching daily, um, he spent all this time in Corinth, years in Corinth, and they are falling back, heading back toward Judaism. He could look at his circumstances and have the same feelings that I expressed to you earlier in this sermon. Languishing in jail, hearing the disturbing news from the various churches, it would have been very tempting for Paul to conclude that the gospel was not progressing. That his entire ministry, along with all the suffering that he had to endure, was pointless. What encourages me here is that Paul did not view the, mission, the, the, the ministry of the gospel as being pointless. He did not view the progress of the gospel uh, negatively. He believed in the progress of the gospel. Paul's view of the mission of the gospel was not simply to survive the onslaught. It was not simply to keep his faith when everything was against him. 
rather, his view of the progress of the gospel was much bigger than simply survival. So I ask again, in light of Paul's view of the progress of the gospel, his very optimistic view of the progress of the gospel, even though his circumstances seem to suggest the opposite, I ask again, what should be our realistic mission of the gospel, even as we face the wholesale opposition uh, to the gospel by our society? Should it be simply to survive, or should it be to transform our community? If you're unclear as to what I'm driving at, let me, let me remind you that the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is the, pow- is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. In other words, I believe our mission should be bigger than simply to survive. I believe our mission should be as big as the power of God. Just because it seems like the progress of the gospel is an illusionary concept when we look at our circumstances, it does not mean that it is. So then I ask the question, how are we going to transform our community? Are we going to develop a business plan, streamline our ministry, make it lean and mean, and do only what will, make, only what will be effective? Well, again, I want to direct you back to the Apostle Paul, back to his ministry plan. What does he do when he gets to Rome? He calls the leaders of the Jews to his place of confinement. And then he preaches to them all day long into the evening with very little effect, with very little effectiveness. And the Apostle Paul knows that his target group, the demographic that the Lord Jesus has sent the Apostle Paul to reach, are not these people. The Lord Jesus said, go to the Gentiles. But yet he's starting with the Jews first. And you can hear in his voice the exasperation as he preaches to these Jews. The Apostle Paul makes his priority, his first step in his mission to do what turns out to be basically a waste of time. Listen to verses 25 through 28. And disagreeing among themselves, the the Jews disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. And his statement really was two statements, one quote from Scripture and then one final statement. And the quote from Scripture, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear. With their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. In other words, the Apostle Paul knows from Scripture that they are not going to listen to his word. Yet he spends an entire day into the evening, and not only an entire day, but the, 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 the order of first priority, he makes preaching to them. We could say 
looking at it, a complete waste of time. And then he says, verse 28, Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And all the Jews got up and left. The commentators speculate why Paul uh, contacted the Jews as the first step in his ministry strategy uh, to carry out his mission to the, to, um, and to see the gospel progress in Rome. I'm not so concerned about why Paul made the Jews his first priority. I'm concerned to simply point out that this is what he did. And what I am drawing from this is that the, pros- the progress of the gospel does not fit neatly into a streamlined, bottom-line-first business plan. We are in the people business. Numbers of converts are not our priority. Rather, real relationships with real people where we can speak the gospel of Christ into each other's lives. That is our priority. And even people who will ultimately reject the gospel... God will send them into our lives. And God calls us to spend our precious time with them and to minister to them. Just like Paul sent these Jews into his life to minister to them. In other words, our calling is not to do necessarily with what is most efficient but what will bring God glory as we proclaim Christ to everyone that He brings our way. To share our lives in a very inefficient way with people that God brings our way, all with the hope that they will come to love the Lord Jesus. Here's what I'm driving at. In spite of everything, our circumstances, our enemies, and even ourselves, God is gloriously causing His gospel to make progress. Even when we don't see it. And we are to be faithful to Him. I want you to look at verses 30 and 31. This is the most excited I've been over a text of Scripture in a long time. I guess I shouldn't say that as a pastor. I should always piously be excited over every word of Scripture. Um, but uh, I am. I looked at, at uh, verse 31, and I guess I shouldn't admit this second thing, and that is I don't always read the text uh, in the original Greek before I preach it. If I have a question, I look at the Greek uh, to see... But uh, normally I don't. I didn't have a question about this text, but for some reason I looked at it in the Greek and I saw something that struck me. Here's the way the passage reads, uh, literally from the Greek, uh, verse 31. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus with all boldness unhinderedly. All boldness unhinderedly, with no conjunction. 
Most of you have a copy of the scriptures. If you have the NIV, it puts it up at the beginning of the verse, um, all boldness and without hindrance. If you have the English Standard Version, it puts it down at the bottom of the verse with all boldness and without hindrance. But no, but and they have the conjunction. But when I saw that there was no conjunction here, it just struck me. The last two words about the history of the early church are, are really the last three words, all boldness unhinderedly. As, the, as we draw here to the, the end of our sermon series in Acts, and Dr. Luke ends his history of the early church in Acts, what are we left with as it looks forward into the future? We're left with these last three words. All boldness unhinderedly. In other words, everything I said are true feelings that I get in my heart from time to time About at the beginning of the sermon. I get discouraged about the progress of the gospel. I get discouraged about our culture. I get discouraged about the, the moral consciousness of our nation. I get discouraged about whether the gospel is really able to transform a community. But then I look at the Apostle Paul. Look at all his negative um, circumstances that were facing him. Five years in jail. And yet, what are we left with? All boldness unhinderedly. And I think that is God's message to the church, regardless of circumstances, regardless of, of effectiveness. We should look at our future with all boldness unhinderedly. Let me go a little further. When we lived in Aiken, uh, we had the largest, Aiken, South Carolina, had the largest um, unimproved wooded um, area in, in any city in the United States, uh, Hitchcock Woods. And uh, once a year, they would, uh, they stopped doing it when I was, when we were there, but uh, they were still doing it when we moved there. Um, I guess it became a little too politically incorrect, but they would have the running of the hounds, and they would have they would let the, the fox loose, and uh, they would have the hounds and the people on the the uh, horses running all through uh, Hitchcock Woods, and when they would find the the hound or find the fox, um, the uh, people on the horseback would yell "Tally ho!" and um, then also, this phrase, tally-ho, during the Second World War became common when the English-speaking fighter pilots would see an enemy aircraft and they would yell, tally-ho, and then they would turn their aircraft toward the enemy and charge off after the enemy to shoot it down. Our attitude toward our culture, 
our attitude toward the moral consciousness or lack thereof in our nation. Our attitude toward our society, towards those who are very vocal as enemies of the gospel of Christ, should not be to cower in fear should not be to become a holy huddle and and further um, uh, uh, close our doors to keep the world out. Rather, our attitude as believers, because the gospel, I mean, the, 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 the book of Acts ends with all boldness unhinderedly. Our attitude should be tally-ho, Because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And not only that, our God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, here to earth. Had Him be born into flesh to become a man in order that He who knew no sin, you read it in the responsive reading, might become sin for sinners. If God is going to send His own Son into the world to die a horrible death, to suffer the wrath of God that we deserved, you can bank on it. He is going to continue to use His gospel. He is going to continue to use the preaching of His Word. He is going to continue to use His believers to be salt and light in the world. He does not desire His church to be, um, to put a bowl over the light of the gospel. Rather, He wants the church and the gospel of the Lord Jesus to be set upon a hill so that all people can see it. So that all people can stream to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission is to see transformation to see the gospel make a powerful impact in the lives, not only of individuals, but even in our society. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we, as you send us out from the book of Acts, send us out with all boldness, unhinderedly. Renew our faith in the gospel as the power of God. And God, even as I pray that, I pray that you would help us to see fruitfulness from the proclamation of the gospel. Thirty, sixty, even a hundredfold fruitfulness. That people might be drawn to the Lord Jesus. That our lives might burn brightly for Him. That our culture would come to know You. For we know that one day every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the glory, or Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. God, You have given to the church the power to overcome the gates of hell. Help us to believe it. For we, as believers in Jesus Christ, lift this prayer in His name. 
Amen.